Hello and welcome to the first part of our new series, I Give Up. And it's not giving up like you might think. And so join us as Trevor, the pastor of the Oak, leads us in this sermon series. If you're watching this message or listening today, I'm assuming that you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not, I would highly recommend you consider that as a decision for your life. It's the best thing I've ever done. If you are a follower of Jesus, just think about how great it is to be saved. All the benefits and the privileges and the encouragement and the uplifting that goes on for believers. Psalm 103 lists a number of the great things about what God has done for us. The psalmist in Psalm 103, he says that he's forgiven all your sins. That's amazing. He says he's healed all your diseases. Jesus took those diseases and sicknesses on the cross for us. Psalm 103 says that he redeems your life from death. We're eternal now, living eternally. He also says in the Psalm 103 that he crowns your life with love and tender mercies. How amazing. Fills your life with good things. That's what the psalmist says. He even says he renews your youthfulness. That's why I look so much younger than I really am. He also says he gives righteousness and justice to those who are treated unfairly. There was an old song that used to say, count your blessings, count them one by one. And it's so easy to consider how great God is to us, that when we do that, we can forget that the calling on our lives as followers of Jesus is to take up our cross. It's great following Jesus. It's so great. There's so many benefits, but we can get lost in that, believing it's all about making us feel good. When Jesus gave a really clear message that he said that my followers will take up their cross, Well, today we're starting a new series, a new series called I Give Up. Not about giving up in life and just going and climbing under the duvet and saying, I give up. No, what am I going to give up in my life? This cross that I'm carrying, what am I going to surrender? Four weeks of thinking about what we're surrendering to Jesus. (laughs) What a topic, four weeks of surrender. But I believe God really wants to teach us something in this. And it, it carries on in Philippians. We were just in our last series, we were working through the first chapter of Philippians about our confident hope. And as we move into chapter two, we start to see that, that Paul in his letter to the Philippians talks about giving up stuff. He starts in Philippians chapter two, verse one, by saying this, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? any comfort from his love, any fellowship together with the Holy Spirit. He says, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then, he starts this bit saying, do you love being saved? Do you love what God's doing in your life? Do you love the the mercy that he shows? Do you love that you're belonging to Christ and that there's comfort in his love? There's comfort in the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. He says, has God made your heart tender? Well, if he has, if he's transformed you, if if you're born again, then there's some good stuff for us to be getting on with. The Christian life isn't the me life. 
It's a selfless life. And we're going to hear in this series everything that's grounded in this first verse. Are you saved? Have you been born again? Have you enjoyed the benefits and the privilege of being saved? Well, don't stop there then. Don't stop. Press on in to what God has for our lives through our surrender. Now you know those amazing benefits of being saved. There's a way to live life. And that way involves surrender. It involves giving up stuff. Well, let's have a look at the whole of those first four verses of Philippians chapter 2 and just hear what he says. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And so I want us to see this morning, this ultimate goal that's written there in verse two, he says, the goal is that we would be loving one another. The goal is that we'll be working together with one mind and purpose. Just think about that, that we'd be loving one another, working together, this unity, this harmony, working together with one mind and purpose. You probably realise by now that the way we're wired, that maybe the way that we're conditioned in our upbringing, maybe even the way that we're made in our DNA, isn't naturally inclined to this isn't naturally inclined for everyone having an equal voice. It's very much inclined towards me having my way. You know, when we work together, when we work together, that requires an equal voice that everyone gets to play their part. Everyone gets to have their say. Everyone gets some skin in the game. And everyone gets to input. One mind and one purpose means compromise. It means giving room. It means that I don't always get my way. And you realise you can't be in charge and have things all your way and have one mind and purpose. Let me say that again. You can't be in charge and have it all your way and have one mind and purpose. There's a principle running through this morning I want us to grasp. To live in harmony, I have to give up my status. That's what I'm talking about this morning. I give up my status. For us to achieve this goal... This purpose that God has set for us, that we would love one another and work together with one mind and one purpose. To live in harmony, I have to give up my status. Now, just look at this scripture we just read. There are four key things that he brings out and says, look, here's how you're going to go about it. Here's how you're going to achieve one mind and one purpose. Here's how you're going to give room. First, he says, don't live for yourself. Don't live for yourself. Look out for others. Don't look out only for your own interests. And that takes a conscious effort. It's contrary to all we want to do. We want to look out for number one. We want to look out for ourselves. But Paul says, don't live for yourself. He secondly says, don't live to impress others. Trying to appear what you're not. 
There's this trap of rivalry and self-interest where we all want to appear much better than the other person. We want to measure up to each other. We look around and go, am I as good as them? How do I look better? He says, don't live in a way where you're just trying to impress others. Thirdly, he says, practice humility. Practice humility. C.S. Lewis once said, humility is not thinking less of yourselves. It's thinking of yourself less. And I love that definition. C.S. Lewis was a very bright guy. And I love the way he puts that. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And he's right. But I want to say the Bible is more right. <laughs> the Bible's more right because the Bible says humility is about thinking of others as better than yourself. So we're not trying to lower ourselves, but we're trying to raise others around us. We are trying to think of others as better than yourself. And fourthly in this passage, the clues are there. This fourth pointer is take an interest in the needs of others. If we're to look out for the needs of others, we're going to have to give up some ground. If we're really going to look out for other people, then we can't have the status and the position and the influence and the privilege that we have. We've got to make room for others. Well, that was a pretty quick sermon, wasn't it? Four key points there. Don't live for yourself. Don't live to impress others. Practice humility. Take an interest in the need of others. What I love about this passage is it's so easy to see those points. You can just literally read through the verses that we've read and see him say these things. So it made my job really easy. It's easy to put into nice four points. So easy to understand. Okay, so I don't live for myself. I don't live to impress others. I practice humility and I take an interest in the need of others. There we go. Easy. Well, some of the most easiest things to hear and the easiest things to say and to read in the Word of God are some of the most hardest things to put into practice. These things don't come naturally. They don't come easily. They're a lifetime of work, of, of surrendering, of giving up our status. And so I want to just bring it to life by just thinking about three examples, just three different environments where you see this at work or where we should see this at work. Just think about firstly, giving up our status in our relationships. Have a think about some of your closest relationships. It might be your spouse, your significant other. It might be a sibling that you're super close to. Or it might be a parent that you're really close to. Or one of your children or a best friend. But just think about a close relationship and how this works in a close relationship. What does it look like to live in harmony in a close relationship? And if I'm going to live in harmony, I'm going to have to give up some of my status. Just think about these four things we just read in these verses in Philippians. Don't live for yourself. Think about this relationship that you're in. How much self is in your relationship? Are you truly putting the other person first? If you want to see harmony in your relationships, if you want to see working together with one mind and one purpose, it's going to involve surrendering ourselves. It's going to involve you putting the other first. Don't live for yourself. So many relationships go wrong when one person or maybe both person just looks out for themselves. Paul's advice, the word of God says, don't live for yourself. How's your relationship doing 
this person that you're thinking about? Are you living for yourself in this relationship or are you surrendering yourself? What about not living to impress others? How much honesty is in this relationship? Are you living in reality with this person or are you still trying to put up a pretense of who you are? Are you saying or doing the things that make you look good, that make you appear the better one? Or are you being honest about who you are? Paul says if you want to live in harmony, if you want to live in love together, if you want to be a one mind and one purpose, then you have to give up trying to live to impress the other person. Be warts and all, be who you are without the veneer. He says, practice humility. Are you esteeming the other? Just think about this relationship that you're in. Are you esteeming the others? Or, or are you trying to be the smarter one? You're, you're the smarter one in the relationship or the more caring or the I'm always the more generous or I'm the more romantic or I'm the more thoughtful. Well, don't think that way. Are you esteeming the other person and valuing them and what they bring to this relationship? We so often fall into that trap where we judge others by their actions and we judge ourselves by our intentions. We know what we meant to do, but what they did, well, what they did was wrong. Never mind what they meant to do. And it becomes the, a source of great breakdown in relationships. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, Verses two to three, Paul also writes, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, building yourselves together with peace. You know, Paul often spoke about the same themes in a lot of his letters and in the same theme as he speaks to the Ephesians, he's saying, be humble and gentle. You know, when you're in a close relationship with someone, it's so easy for someone's mistakes or faults or failures to rub you up the wrong way. And Paul says, be patient with each other. Make allowances for each other's faults and failures because you love them. It's hard. It's hard to do. It's hard, like I said earlier, it's easy to say, hard to do. But Paul says, if you want to live in a loving relationship, working together with one heart and one mind, then it's going to take that. It's going to take taking an interest in the need of the other person. Just think about this relationship that you're thinking about. When you talk, when you're talking to each other, who's doing the talking? Who's doing all the talking? Are you the listener? I don't know if you've ever read the book or know, looked into the book, uh, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. It's a great Christian book that helps us understand that different people express love in relationships in different ways. There are things that are important to us that are maybe not be as important to someone else. For one person, spending time with them really matters. And another person, it's the words that you say that matter. What about in this relationship that you're in? Are you speaking their love language? Or are you in your own language? This goal that we've heard about in the Philippians chapter is, is loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. As I said, to live in harmony, I have to give up my status. And as you think about how this outworks in our relationships, you might be thinking about it right now going, well, it doesn't quite work that way. 
will keep on working. Paul says this is the clue, this is the way to do it, this is how to achieve a loving relationship with one heart and one mind. Keep on working. You know, I, I don't know, we might have just saved a marriage or a relationship or a friendship by putting these things into practice by not living for yourself, by not living to impress the other person, by practicing humility, and by taking an interest in the need of the other person. Easy said, hard to do. What about in our church, in the Oak Community Church? What about how this works in the Oak Community Church where God also says, I want you to love one another. I want you to work together with one heart and mind and purpose. And, and you'd have heard our vision as we started to explore what God is saying for our future and about lockdown and getting back to church and not getting back to church yet and trying different things. You know, as we seek to pursue what God is calling us in the Oak Community Church, then we're gonna to have to figure out how we love one another and how we move with one mind and one purpose. And if we're gonna live in harmony then each of us are going to have to give up our status, our right to be right. Again, think about these four things that we've read. Paul wants us to not just have head knowledge, but to put them into practice. Don't live for yourself. How much of how you approach church is how you want to fit in with what you want or how you like it? It's easy for us to get into that place in church where it's like, but that's the way I like it. This is how I like my church to be. We have grown up now in a culture and an industry that's all about personal preference, about tailoring everything to exactly how you want it to be. And it's counter-Christian. It's counter-biblical. It's the opposite direction. Our life is about one of surrender. And it's easy for us to bring into church. Well, that's the music that I like. So that's the way I want it to be. Or that's the preacher that I like. That's who I want to hear. Or that's the time in the morning that I like it to be. Or this is exactly how I like church to be. One of the great things that's happened in all this disruption is a lot of our personal preferences have had to be thrown out the window. But, and God is teaching us how do we surrender? How do we not live for ourselves in our church life? What about this second point Paul gave us? Don't live to impress others. How much are we trying to live to impress others in our church? How much do you think about what others will think about you? How much time do you spend worrying about what other people will say or what they will judge? I hope you realise if we all spend our time doing that, if all of us in the church spend all our time worrying about what everyone else is going to think or say or do, we, we, we are the problem. <laughs> and the more authentic we can become, that's our mission statement, that's part of it, that we would be an authentic expression of life in Christ. The more authentic and real we are with each other, the more we learn to drop the pretense and not try to impress anybody, the more that we get closer to each other. I was only talking to Chris the other day and all the church online stuff that we're doing about being authentic. And both of us had the same vision. It wasn't like we were disagreeing about the need to be authentic in church online. We're not trying to impress anyone. We're not trying to wow the world with our video production or pretend like we've got a church of 10,000. We're trying to be us. 
We don't want to live to impress other people. We want to live to be authentic and real. And our church life is that as well. For us to be of one heart and one mind, for us to be loving one another, it's going to involve us not living to impress others. And that, that's a moment of vulnerability where we don't have to pretend that we've got it all sewn up, that we've got it all fixed, that our lives are all perfect, because our church is one that says, no perfect people allowed. We want to be real with each other. We want to practice humility. Jesus practiced humility by washing feet. Can we be feet washers? Is there some way that you can serve? Is there some way you can serve the body, serve the needs of other people, lay your life down, practice humility? When we serve, we actively put the needs of others first. And as we do that, something changes within us. And I, I mean, don't, don't just, um, sometimes things don't go our way and we bite our lip and we go, oh, I won't say anything. God calls us to go even further, honour someone else. Be humble. I remember a, an experience that I had uh, with a good friend of mine. I hadn't seen them for a year and when I went to see them, um, we went into a church meeting. And that evening in the church meeting, someone was in the service who had a very prominent role. And uh, I didn't know, but I picked up a vibe that there was some bit of an issue between this friend of mine and this guest speaker. And, uh, and I heard someone else say to him, hey, how are you doing? Was that all right? And I thought, OK, clearly there's some history here. And so I would say out of care, but probably out of nosiness, I said, hey, is, it, is everything all right? What, what's that about? And I could see this friend of mine stop pause and then all they did was talk about how wonderful this other person was and I could kind of tell that it was an effort I could kind of tell what they wanted to do was whinge and moan and say oh this person hurt me or they did that but they chose instead to go no I'm going to honor I'm going to honor this person I'm going to I'm going to humble myself and not try to tell you what the issue was or why they were in the wrong and I'm in the right no I'm going to honor them Romans puts it wonderfully in Romans 12:10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. Outdo one another in showing honour. You know, and in church life, it's so easy to fall into that trap of someone who rubs us up the wrong way, someone who just, you know, kind of grates on us, of then talking to someone else and saying, oh, did you see this or did you hear that? That's not church life the way God wants it. God wants us to outdo one another with honour. Not that we would just bite our lip and go, I won't say anything bad, but we actively choose to praise and honour someone else, even when we go, you know what? It's not my style. It's not my way. It's kind of not the person that I gel with. In Romans, we're told, outdo one another in showing honour. It's tough, isn't it? It's easy to say this stuff, and it's tough to do, but when you do it, the church becomes the glorious example that God intended it to be. One that shows a people loving one another with one heart and one mind and purpose. And this fourth bit we've heard about taking an interest in the need of others. You know, what would it be like if we really, truly, and myself included, start to focus our church on the needs of others? Not just how it works for me, not just my preference, not how I like church to be, but the needs of our community. What does our community need in order to meet Jesus? 
You know, if we're going to do that, we're going to have to give up some ground. We're going to have to give up our status. If you've been here a long time, there's this part that goes, yeah, but I've been here so long and this is how I like things to be and I've always known it that way. And God says, take an interest in the needs of others. Put them first. Put their needs above your own. And that means giving up ground. We want to love one another. We want to work together with one heart and mind and purpose. But to live in harmony, I have to give up my status. You know, that loving one another includes anybody new. Anyone looking into our church is interested in this time of lockdown as we're doing online church. And as we seek to invite people, you know, I believe God is attracting and will continue to attract people to become part of our church, part of our group, part of our community. And as he does, we're going to be challenged to go, what do they need? How do they get to meet Jesus better? And what ground might I need to give up? So I've got you to think about how this applies to our relationships on a very personal level. I've got you to think about how it applies in our church. But let me just do one final application for these easy to say things and hard to do things. Let's think about what it looks like to live in harmony loving one another with one heart and mind in our society. In the world around us, in the society we live in, we've only started to scratch the surface of the racial injustice that we have seen in our world and seen in our society. And today I'm only going to just touch on it briefly. But I want us to think about racial injustice. I want us to think about how different ethnic groups are treated in different ways. Because God's vision is that we would love one another, that we would live in a way with one heart and mind and purpose. And you might think that's way too aspirational and way too ideal, but that is God's vision for society. That is the kingdom coming to earth. When we pray, Lord, your will be done, Lord, your kingdom come, that is God's kingdom. Unfortunately, we don't have to guess how that happens. We've read today in Philippians how it happens. It happens by don't live for yourself. Can I just speak to those of us who are white? There are so many systems in our society that are in our favour, that work preferentially for us. So much so that we don't even notice it. We cannot stay content with that situation. We can't look and go, hey, this works for me. The word of God says, don't live for yourself. If it's working out fine for you, that's not the point. God's word says, we're not about living for ourselves. We're not about going, this is working fine for me, never mind anybody else. So as we think about these injustices in our society, about racial injustice, about the, the gap between the rich and the poor, about the systems that marginalize some people and help others, if it's in the good camp for us that it works out for us, the word of God says, don't just live for yourself. It says also, don't live to impress others. You know, none of us are perfect on this issue, myself included, yourself too. And so this isn't about a good versus bad thing. It's not about, hey, there are good people and there are bad people. It's about people who are trying to learn versus those who are not interested in learning. We're all able to come to this discussion, to this journey that we're on to find a more fairer society and say, I am not perfect. Every one of us, I am not perfect. 
I've misjudged, I've shown bias, I've been prejudiced, I've said things too rashly, I've overlooked injustices too easily. We're all able to say that and we're not out to impress other people of going, I have a clean record, I've always been perfect at this. We're only gonna grow as a society in greater harmony, in greater love for one another, as we're more honest with each other. As we don't live to impress others, but we bring out honesty and go, I think I've made mistakes in this area and I need to learn. And in doing that, we practice humility. There is a lot of tension at the moment, a lot of tension, not just because of lockdown, but as the racial issues have come to the fore in our country and around the world, and as we seek to explore these things, there is tension. And even though change has to come, and it does have to come, Jesus still challenges our conduct whilst things aren't the way they should be. He still speaks to us in the midst of when things are wrong and says, I still want you to do the right thing, even when things around us are wrong. He speaks to us of this in, in, in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 26, it says these words, Let us not become conceited, or provoke one another, or be jealous of one another. I love this because there's almost like three parts of this that speak right into this tension of where there's injustice and where there's people who have privilege and those who have disadvantage and the tension in between that as we seek to resolve it, as we seek to build a better society. This verse speaks to both camps, speaks to everyone in whatever situation you find yourself in. If life has shown you advantage and privilege and, and you are in the lucky group in the, in the category of people who have had a privileged life where things have worked out well for you. He says, let us not become conceited. Don't let us become proud and conceited. I've had so many opportunities gifted to me in my life. I didn't realize they were given to me. I didn't realize how many things were, 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 were opportunities just given to me that I didn't have to earn. I didn't have to try and work hard. They were given to me. And it would be easy for me, therefore, to get puffed up and think, look what I've managed to achieve, why haven't others? Galatians says, don't become conceited, don't become proud. But it also says, if life has shown you disadvantage, if you've been at the worst end of it, if you've been disadvantaged, if you've been discriminated, he says this, don't be jealous of one another. Ouch, that's a hard word. And I feel nervous saying it, because I've not been massively discriminated or disadvantaged. And so it sounds kind of, I don't know, just unfair for me to say it, but the word of God says it. it says to all of us, don't be jealous of one another. And that's a tough thing to hear when life is not fair, when the systems are not right. That doesn't mean we shouldn't fight against injustice, but God is interested in our character in the midst of injustice. Just think about Joseph. Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers mistreated by Potiphar, forgotten about in a prison cell, all these injustices for him, and God worked on his character. No, it was wrong what happened to him. Well, the way the brothers treated him was wrong. The way he was treated by Potiphar's wife was wrong. The way he was forgotten about in, in the, the prison cell was wrong. Totally wrong. But God says, you know what, in the midst of all that's wrong, I'm going to work on your character. And then he says in this passage in Galatians 5.26, he says, okay, if you've had advantage, don't be conceited, don't become proud. If life has been tough against you and you've had disadvantage and mistreated, don't be jealous of other people. 
And then he says something to everybody. He says, for everyone, wherever you find yourself, don't provoke one another. There's a lot of provoking going on right now. A lot of provoking. In the midst of the tension, there's a lot of provoking. And God wants a lot more listening. He wants a lot more of this fourth point, that we would take an interest in the need of others. The greatest gift that you can give anyone right now in the midst of our social unrest and trying to figure out the right way forward, the best gift you can give anybody right now is listening. Take an interest in someone else's experience. Ask them their story and listen. Don't share yours. Don't say, oh yeah, I know exactly how you feel. I've had that. Listen. Take an interest in the need of others. You know, as we do this, as we stop living for ourselves and that everything will just work well for me, as we stop living to impress each other and, uh, and pretend that we haven't made our mistakes, as we practice humility, and as we take an interest in the need of others, the Word of God says those are the ways that you get to loving one another, working together with one heart and mind and purpose. Because to live in harmony means I'm going to have to give up my status. You know, these, these pointers, these four things, these principles, they're not a book of rules. They're not a set of do's and don'ts. What they are is like a shining spotlight on the life of Jesus. They're like a massive big spotlight that says, look at the example Jesus gave for us. You know, Jesus came to a to, to build a, a, a kingdom, to build a community that loves one another, that works together with one heart and mind and purpose. And Jesus said, I'm going to show you what it looks like. Jesus said, I won't live for myself. I will lay down my life. I'll lay aside my privilege. I'll do what the Father tells me to do. I'll say, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. I will not live for myself. Jesus says, I won't live to impress others. I will come and be born in a stable. I won't seek out the crowd. I won't perform signs at the drop of a hat when people say, show us a sign. I'll conceal my, my, my great truths in parables. I won't live to impress others, Jesus says. Jesus says, I will practice humility. I'll hang out with the sinners and the outcasts. I'll touch the lepers and those who are bleeding. I will avoid the bigwigs and I'll seek out the marginalised. I will practice humility, Jesus says. Jesus says, I will take an interest in the need of others. I'll heal the sick. I'll raise the dead. I won't cast the first stone, even though I could. I'll provide wine for a wedding and loaves and fishes for people who are hungry. I will take an interest in the needs of others. This is our example. This is our saviour Jesus, our captain and our king. He sets the standard. He goes before us. He shows us the way. And we bow our knee and pray to him, Jesus, I give up my status. Jesus, I give up my status. I give up my selfish desires, my desire to look out for myself. Lord, I surrender that to you. Lord, I give up my need to impress others, to look good in their eyes, to try and put on a show, to try and impress other people. I surrender that to you, Jesus. Lead me in the way of humility. Lead me in the acts that are humble, 
the ways to lay my life down. And let me live for the needs of others above myself, Lord Jesus. Let me put others first. Lord, come into my life and have your way. Help me give up my status and be part of your work, God, to live in love with one another, with one heart and mind and purpose in my relationships, in this church, in the society around me. In Jesus' name, amen. I pray today has been a real blessing to you I'm so pleased you could join us come back next week we're going to continue to worship together and hear God's word as we carry on our series of I give up part two is I give up my way is it my way or God's way and who does all the work anyway is it all down to my effort or is it God at work within me see you next week